Um, as was mentioned, I am the director of the Prerath Resource Institute, primarily started to continue some work that I had begun back in when I was in seminary that I'd never had a chance to get around to because of some other things that I was doing. And finally, life worked itself out where I was finally able to get to do what I really like to do, which is to do research, uh, to dig into old musty books in old places to find old insight that's quite new and delicious. So I get to do that now. I get to study all the time um, and preach and teach. And I uh, sympathize with all of those who drudgery, go through the drudgery of working every day on the job you don't like. Uh, I pray for you. I personally get to do exactly what I want, the way I want, uh, day in and day out. And it's a tremendous joy to handle the Word of God. Uh, you must know that I come to an event like this with a little bit of fear and trepidation. Not because I don't like to debate, because I love a debate. Uh, I don't even have to believe what I'm debating. Just give me the position, and I'm quite happy. Uh, I, I, just, I just love it. Always have, even in school. Uh, but I come to it with a little fear because we, we are handling the Word of God. And by definition, one of us is right and others are not. Or all of us could be wrong. But this is the Word of God that we're talking about. It's not to be handled lightly. It is the precious jewel of God entrusted to us. And the Word of God tells me quite clearly, let not many seek to be teachers, for you shall incur a greater wrath for handling God's Word. So I don't, I don't handle God's Word without consequence. Now, if I had my way, I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow you to come here tonight until you have had a class on how to study the Bible. I'm, I'm always impressed uh, that we call people into the greatest thing that's ever been, and yet we never teach them how to study the Word of God. That's really where you start. You don't, you don't start with a topic. Because if we don't get an understanding about how we're going to approach the book, then, of course, we can, we can come away with all kinds of conclusions. Now, but you basically, in a kind of a big-picture idea, two ways to look at God's Word. I use the word allegorical to cover everything that doesn't take it at face value. That is, the normal, natural, customary sense that doesn't seek to discover the author's intent in the text. Anything that doesn't get at that in a literal way with, quote, I would call it allegorical. Now, allegorical has to cover a lot of ground because there's some really, really bad allegorical, and then there's some things that are not quite so tenacious. But basically, I believe God's word should be taken at face value. You, you don't have to go twist it. I believe that if you give it to a man in his language and he goes out under the tree and he just reads God's word, that he will get the sense of God's word, though he may not be able to do it in great detail. He will get the sense of what God intended, having never done anything else. But in an educated society, we ought to at least give some talent to learn how to read the thing. That's called hermeneutics, how to study the word of God. Now, let me show you the consequences of not having a good hermeneutic. Okay? And this uh, passage that we're going to talk about here. In the book of Revelation. Now, let me, I want to run through this real quickly because you need to have kind of a framework. If we don't, we won't get very far. Revelation chapter 1 happens somewhere between 90 and 96 A.D., I believe. 
Some people say earlier. Some people say later. I'll say somewhere between there, about 96. Okay, chapter 2 starts in whatever year it was written and goes all the way into eternity future because you're going to receive the blessings of God and then you're going to live with Jesus in his kingdom and then you're going to live with him in eternity. All right? Four and five is an unknown future date. Don't know when that's going to happen. By the way, I'll send this to you. If you put your name on the list, I'll send you a PowerPoint so you don't try to write all this down. Just think with me, okay? Don't worry. Revelation 6 through 10 covers the beginning of the 70th week and will run to the end of the 70th week. That's critical. If you miss that, chapter 10 is going to give you a lot of problems. Chapter 11 starts in the middle of the 70th week and goes 30 days past the 70th week. That's important. Revelation uh, 12 started somewhere in eternity past, moves to the end of the 70th week. Totally different timeline. Revelation 13 starts in the middle of the 70th week, moves 30 days past. Give or take a day here or there. And then we move into the most disruptive part, chapter 14 to 19, happens in basically 30 days. It's very quick. Uh, the, the wrath of God and the bowls need to happen very quickly because it's just that bad. Revelation chapter 20, 1,000 years after the 70th week. And then, of course, 21 and 22 is an eternity future. Now, I'll be, I'll be referring to that a lot because it's important. Now, Daniel 9, 24 and the 70th week. First of all, you need to know that there is a significant translational issue in this text. If you don't know that, you start off believing something that the text was never intending for you to understand. Let me give you, let me show you. In verse 25 and 26, it says, So you ought to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again. Plaza mode, even in time of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. So we read that and we go build our theology. But did you know, in the ESV, English Standard Version, a recent translation put out by a good friend of mine, Lane Dennis, that text reads a little differently on two critical pieces, which I've highlighted. It says, to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks, period. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with square and moat, built in a troubled time, and after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off. Now, that's quite a different. Now, you say, well, now, wait a minute. Who gives them the authority to change the word of God? Well, you have to say, well, who translated it? For example, the Net Bible, the New English Translation, which I really use a lot, put out by a lot of Dallas theological men, men whom I respect and love and adore, even to this day, in their translation, which is on the Internet at Bible.org, it reads like this at the critical part. There will be a period of seven weeks and 62 weeks, and again, it will be built with plaza and moat, but in a distressful time. Then after the 62 weeks, an anointed one. Now, they, in the footnote, they say this. The accents in the Masoretic text, that's what MT stands for, differs indicates disjunction at this point, which would make it difficult, if not impossible, to identify the anointed one slash prince of this verse as messianic. The reference in verse 26 to the 62 weeks as a unit favors the Masoretic as situation, not the traditional translation. 
If one follows the Masoretic translation, accentuation, one may translate the verse like this. From the going forth of the message to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until an anointed one, a prince, arrive, there will be a period of seven weeks. Period. During a period of 62 weeks, it will be built again with plaza and moat, but in a distressful time. They continue, the present translation follows a traditional reading of the passage that deviates from the Masoretic translation accentuation. In other words, what they're telling you is this. If you follow the dictates, which is evident in the original 1611 King James Bible, there's 49 weeks and the 62 weeks are two separate periods. And this passage does not, should not be translated, the Messiah, the Prince. It should be translated, an anointed one, a Prince. Now, you can obviously see that that has a tremendous amount of bearing on how you interpret this text, just by knowing that. Now, gentlemen, the English Standard Version is an excellent translation of the Bible, I think. In fact, they did a fabulous job. Many of the men on that translation committee, I know, hold them in high esteem. But they changed from the way the New American Standard Bible translated this passage. So who is right? One of them can't be both. The only way you're going to know that is if you have a hermeneutic capable of discerning the difference. That's why I would love for you to have a tremendously uh, important class on hermeneutics. The text is not referring to Jesus Christ. This text is not prophesying that Jesus is going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey on a Monday. That is not what the text is doing. Yet, if you take that and that's the way you interpret it, then you're going to come to a false conclusion, which is exactly what happens. Now, in this text, there are also chron some chronological issues, many of which you probably don't even know. Did you know that the Jewish chronologists say that the Persian Empire only lasted 52 years? You talk to a rabbi, he's going to tell you that the Persian Empire only lasted 52 years. But did you know that we say, that is, in the West... We say it lasted 208 years. Now, that's, that's quite a difference. That's 156 years. Now, which one is right? Well, the Jews say, hey, we were there. We, we ought to know we were there. It's our, it's our history. The West says, no, you, you don't know. You, you, you must have slept for about 156 years. So which one is right? Did you know that that is really a problem? Most people don't even know this. The fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, in Isaiah chapter 44, the Lord is speaking. He says through Isaiah, he says, this is what the Lord, your protector, says. The one who formed you in the womb, who says about Jerusalem, she will be inhabited and about the towns of Judah, they will be rebuilt. God is through Isaiah saying Jerusalem will recover after Nebuchadnezzar. He goes on and says, her ruin will I raise up. Who commissioned Cyrus, the one I appointed as shepherd to carry out all my wishes and to decree. Now, God said that Cyrus would decree concerning Jerusalem, she will be rebuilt. And concerning the temple, it will be reconstructed. 
Now, the problem is that when you read in the history books and in the Bible, it only said that he talked about rebuilding the temple. It doesn't confirm that he, in fact, did decree. But if Isaiah 44 says he's going to decree it, I believe he decreed it. Because I believe in the literal understanding of God's word. I take it at face value. Now, the fact that it doesn't confirm that he said it doesn't bother me. God says that he's going to raise me from the dead. He hasn't done it yet. But I'm going to die in full confidence that he said it. It's going to happen. God don't have to do what he said he's going to do. All he has to do is say he's going to do it, and it's okay with me. Now, did you know, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11, how good this is. Now, let me show you how God works. See, God is so good. It was the Cyrus of the, it was the decree of Cyrus. When you get the chronology right, this, the decree of Cyrus works. Let me show you how I know. So I came to Jerusalem when I had been there for three days. I got up during the night along with a few men who were with me. But I did not tell anyone what my God was putting on my heart to do for Jerusalem. So the walls were completed on the 25th day of Elul in just 52 days. Did you know that if you take the decree of Cyrus, the year of that decree and the day of that decree, and do you know that if you count 49 years to the day, that it is exactly the day that this text report that Nehemiah came into the city of Jerusalem, 52 days later, the walls were finished, just as God said. And do you know that if you count from that day, 434 years is exactly the day that God removed his hand from Jerusalem and an emperor set about to destroy it, only being stopped because it couldn't happen during, had happened after, as the text says. He went back to Rome to take over the throne, left his son Titus, who within six months, in fact, did cause Jerusalem and the temple to fall after the 434 years, just as God's word says, to the day. Hey, God, he, he doesn't lie. God is true to his word. All you got to do is follow the word. Now, it's interesting, in Daniel it says that desolations are decreed. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 37 and 39, Jesus said there, in fact, was going to be a desolation. And guess what? It happened. That leaves seven weeks because the 434th year did, in fact, confirm the failure of the city, right as God said, and it ran out when Jerusalem was destroyed after the 434th year, leaving one week. It can't have been fulfilled because the fulfillment of the destruction of Jerusalem fell at the end of 383 years, just like God said. The final week cannot have been fulfilled because the text stopped at that point and we are waiting, waiting. So we will take up here later as I show you exactly how God is going to fulfill his word.